You're listening to the Out in the Open Radio Hour on WBEW LP Brattleboro 1077 FM, your community radio station. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests and not of the radio station. Today we are talking about wealth redistribution. We recorded these interviews uh, during the week of May 18th, the week before George Floyd's death. Uh, May this episode serve as a call to white folks with access to wealth to redistribute it now in this critical time and on into the future. Here in Vermont, there is a call out from black folks for white community members to create or participate in giving circles. Much more about that by reaching out to wealthforblackvermonters at gmail.com. And we'll put a link uh, to that on our website as well. Our friends at the Root Social Justice Center have mutual aid efforts underway, in addition to all of their already fabulous work. You can find out more about that and how to support them in their work at therootsjc.org. And Out in the Open also has created a mutual aid fund for rural, QT BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus people. And you can find information about how to support that and or to request support from that fund at weareoutintheopen.com org slash mutual aid. In this two-part series, we're talking with rural white queer people who have been engaging in giving wealth away to movements for racial and social justice. It's a strange time to be highlighting white voices, want to acknowledge that. And also, white folks, white people with access to wealth in these episodes are talking to you. You can join with folks like the people in these episodes to spread, a ra- to spread around an accumulated resource, wealth, and money that belongs to the whole community. Share power, resources, and decision-making with black and brown people, with queer and trans people, with rural people. If the folks in these uh, two episodes that we've talked to have done it, you can too, and we know that the time is now. May this be a call to action uh, for those of you white folks with access to wealth who are not yet engaged in the movement. So I hope you get something out of these conversations uh, our Director of Development and Outreach, Ayne Thompson, and I had with Lane Fury, Lucy Kahn, and Flannery McDonald. Follow up and reach out to us if you want to continue learning, talking, giving, acting, organizing, mobilizing, and tearing down white supremacy, racism, transphobia, homophobia, and all the other forms of oppression while we build something new together. Thanks, Lucy, for being here and joining us to talk about all that kind of stuff today. Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. I'm a big fan of Out in the Open and happy to be in conversation. Yeah. Um, Tell folks a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. So my name is Lucy. I'm, uh, let's see, I currently live and work in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Um, and I, I think one of the ways I want to introduce myself is to share what my intention is for sharing this, this story. Mm. Um, and really my intention is for everyone listening that we change our expectations for wealthy people, Mm. uh, in our world. You know, that also includes for people who have class privilege or access to wealth that, uh, hearing stories from from all of the people who are going to be in this episode helps uh, helps people with class privilege or access to wealth, like see a place for themselves in this work. And mm-hmm. that by breaking the silence around wealth and class that often exists, especially in um, wealthy and class privilege dominant spaces, 
uh, you know, by breaking that silence, we're really trying to like move ourselves into, um, into relationship and into collective action together. But also for non-wealthy people listening, I, I really hope this changes our expectations of what, um, what we expect from wealthy people. And alongside that, I want to say that my intention is really not to put myself out there as a perfect redistributor because, mm. gosh, I'm still learning about this uh, <laughs> every day and every year. And mm. like every rapid response moment like this one has a lot to teach me and all of us. Um, and so that's really the spirit with which I'm coming mm. to sharing my story, which is also really my family's story in my case as someone with inherited wealth. Um, so can I just kind of jump in? Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I'll just one, one, I just want to say one thing that, that um, intention made me think of, which is like, you know, we talk a lot about collective liberation for all people and how, it, you know, this movement and this work really takes all of us. And I think, you know, a good reminder that we need all of us in this fight together. I think, you know, those of us that don't have access to wealth and those that do, um, and like figuring it out together and, um, yeah, just like being able to have these open conversations and make space for each other to bring in as many folks to this um, struggle together as we can. So thanks for sharing your intention and jump in and jump in and go for it. We're here with you, Lucy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, a couple of other kind of things I could have said to introduce myself are um, <laughs> that I'm, I'm part of the Western Mass Resource Generation chapter, which has existed for several years. Um, I've had many different roles there, but I've been involved in RG since 2014. And that's really been the political home where mm. I've been thinking about wealth redistribution. So here's, here's a little bit about my story. Mm. Um, I grew up in an upper class slash owning class family with cross class parents. My mom is from kind of an upwardly mobile into whiteness, middle class ish Polish immigrant family. And my dad is from um, a family with inherited wealth. He grew up in Boston, but um, the, uh, his family also lived in New York City. Um, and uh, that inherited wealth is coming through my dad's mom's. Uh, family. And um, the wealth that I'm inheriting was mostly accumulated by kind of my great grandparents through my great, great, great grandparents' generations. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I've tried to learn some things about their lives because that's been really grounding for me and really understanding what the meaning is for me of uh, giving away wealth. Mm. You know, I would kind of round up to saying they were in the banking and financial industry, but of course that industry looked really different like a hundred plus years ago. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's the term I'll put on it for now. Great. Um, and then, you know, those uh, uh, wealthy ancestors of mine were also philanthropists. I'll mm. put a, a kind of a bookmark there to potentially return to. Um, on the surface also, that philanthropy often looked like uh, kind of a husband businessman and a wife who supported like education and other kinds of, um, uh, kinds of charities that really mm. mimicked a lot of, um, yeah, that maybe like mimicked some, uh, some class patterns about wealthy people thinking they know what everyone else needs. Mm. Um, and um, so I'm like it, you know, I'm inheriting all of that along with this, uh, all the gender roles that necessarily went yes. along with this wealth and this, uh, you know, his stories of philanthropy. Um, 
and I'm like living those differently as a queer person redistributing mm-hmm. wealth um, and as a queer woman, like finding my agency around mm-hmm. the money that I'm inheriting. So that's a little bit of the, mostly the story of the money. Back yeah. to my story. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are um, a human within this story and we care yeah. about you. <laughs> um, so I grew up uh, going to private school, living in the suburbs. I can kind of track my comfort with my class identity by um, whether or not I said, oh, I live in a residential neighborhood or whether I say I live in the suburbs, mm, you know, this, mm. I don't know. It is where I'm from. Um, and so that meant that I was surrounded by a lot of unquestioned wealth. I grew up sometimes comparing myself up to classmates of mine who had uh, bigger houses, different kinds of ostentatious wealth, or parents who were in high-earning professions where that was where some of the wealth that was supporting their livelihood was coming from. And then I you know, also had some friendships in my life, in, uh, even in those private schools where I was also comparing down and noticing that my family had more resources than mm. the families of my friends. Um, and then I also, you know, I... I also grew up with a lot of giving. I grew up with parents who um, are like gardeners and makers and crafters and um, like seeing the way that my parents give away food, give away homebrew in the case of my dad, give away um, sewing and crafting was also Mm. like, I think a part of what growing up in a, um, in like a financially stable household was, was about for me. Mm And then, you know, I also grew up in a family that was pretty transparent about the wealth that we, um, that's inherited through my dad's mother's family, largely. Um, My parents told me about the wealth that I was going to inherit when I was roughly middle school age. Um, And so that meant that, you know, as I went on to get politicized, you know, first in high school around environmental issues and Mm. climate change, and then even beyond that, when... um, when I was really adding a lens of colonization and capitalism and white supremacy onto those uh, environmental issues and climate injustices and mm-hmm. all the other things that intersect with those systems, um, I was thinking about my race and class privilege a lot as I was getting politicized mm-hmm. and was really wondering, like, well, where is my place? Uh, you know, what what am I gonna um, what am I gonna give to these movements for change that I really want to be a part of? And there were a lot of spaces where I could, you know, process white privilege, um, build a feminism that was like as uh, beautiful and queer and liberatory as possible and Mm. like keep working on that. But I didn't necessarily find places to talk about class Mm. until I uh, found resource generation in about 2014, which was at the end of college for me. And um, Yeah. And then, you know, RG was a really important place for me to reflect on class patterns and Mm -hmm. to like plug into a collective sense of we're part of a generation that, you know, is inheriting. uh, I don't know what the statistic is offhand, but some number of millions of dollars from kind of the boomer generation to the millennial generation is happening. And we also have the power to, um, to say wealth inequality can stop with mm-hmm. our generation if we make different choices around what we do with this wealth. So, uh, you know, and a couple more things to tease out of that. Yep. Um, wealth redistribution was really not something 
that I came to on my own, you know, the, as I talked about earlier, the kind of philanthropy that my ancestors were really doing, it was like, give to your college, give to your mm -hmm. educational institutions, which were mostly private schools, mm -hmm. um, give to the arts, um, which often meant big, pretty well funded and well endowed um, museums or cultural institutions. And, um, and the idea of redistributing wealth to social movements, to um, groups organized by people who are fighting issues that directly impact them, mm -hmm. people with really collective solutions who are um, pulling people together and really like building different worlds together. Yeah. Um, that was something pretty different. And that is really like what RG has taught and given me. Um, and it also really makes sense that I didn't, you know, come up with that on my own and then find RG <laughs> because that's work that I can't do alone. Um, that's really one of my, uh, like, one of my really strong uh, feelings as I've been doing this work over the years is I mm. really can't do it alone. There's a lot that I was taught that I'm supposed to do alone with my money as a wealthy person or that this money is really just supposed to be for me. Um, but wealth redistribution is really, um, uh, it's just so much bigger than one person and one mm -hmm. set of actions. Um, I've seen, I mean, yeah, it seems like, there. okay. Okay. <laughs> I was, I mean, that, it, thank you for sharing <laughs> all of that. I think that made me have a lot of different questions. And I think, you know, one reflection from that ending part that you were just talking about really is I've seen a shift, a really significant shift in both foundation philanthropy as well as like the conversation generally from individuals around wealth redistribution and giving in the last several years of, um, yeah, sort of the, the shift you were describing from like boomers and older folks giving to universities, giving to the arts, those kinds of things. Um, and a really significant shift in like philanthropic language around, um, yeah, we should be funding people who are at the center of these movements, communities know what's best. And um, yeah, making, I think that shift having a really significant impact, not only from individuals, but from foundations. And I think for us organizationally, I mean, we're seeing that in a huge way right now, just since this pandemic has started. Um, and I think that's like sort of turned that up even more a foundation saying, you know, we're going to get rid of like basically any application at all. And let's please let us just send you checks and money. We want to trust in community and you all folks know what's best for what you need right now. And I think there's no way that would have happened, you know, even, even five years ago or 10 years ago. And I think that kind of shift, um, is all part of what you're talking about, um, of like a, a movement of a lot of, people of all different ages, but I think of a lot of young folks who are having significant shifts in how they're thinking about using their money. Um, it's really exciting. Um, and I, I think it's really needed. Um, and yeah, in all kinds of social movements right now. That is not a question. That was just some reflection. Um, I'd love to hear yeah, more. But I would... <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was um, gonna say... I... <laughs> Challenges I'll of nonverbal communication over video. Yes, you'll add in. I know. I'll add in that, you know, what you're talking about, like, uh, just reminds me of where RG came from as an mm. organization, which was really like a partnership of uh, 
donor activists and social movement activists who had been really challenged by dynamics and philanthropy stifling movement work instead of helping them build real power. And that the vision is as much about like uh, wealth redistribution means changing philanthropy as much as it means, you know, changing what individual donors do because there are so many power dynamics that are really deeply encoded in the, in those dense application processes in yeah. the waves of funder issues where you can be in one year and out the next. And how does that help really sustain change on the ground over the long term? So um, just like, yes, yes, yes to everything <laughs> you're saying. Mm -hmm. Ditto, likewise. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned, uh, yeah, how, how that has, um, your experience has affected uh, your ability to interact with all those things as a queer person and as a queer woman. And I'd love to hear more about that. If oh, you want to, yeah. if you want to share more about that. Yes. Yes. Cool. I think this is one of the reasons I was really excited to do like this yes. uh, <laughs> opportunity in particular, because I really love thinking about um, the, the queerness of wealth redistribution or, mm -hmm. or just how it feels to me to do as mm -hmm. a queer person. Um, and there's a couple of things I'll put out there. One is when I look back on um, my early memories of where my skepticism about capitalism came from, it's kind of deeply rooted in queerness at yes. the same time. Like I remember thinking as a kid, you know, why is my destination in life to be like part of a family with a husband where like everyone on our street is going to own their own lawnmower? Like, isn't that too many lawnmowers? <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just thinking about like, oh, I'm going to be part of one family with one like partner, presumably in my case, like, uh, with the world looking at me as straight so often, like mm. a male partner who's going to do the work and I'm going to um, keep house. And, you know, that just like didn't resonate for me as a kid. Mm. It like, it didn't make economic sense to, to like box me into one kind of consumptive unit like that. So there's that kind of like early thread of queerness and anti-capitalism. Yes. Like, um, with like wanting to reimagine like different kinds of family life and different kinds of resource sharing, yeah. um, which says a lot about how that was something that I, uh, you know, grew up with again. So then there's another thread, I think that, you know, my experience both, I, I was really getting politicized and, slowly coming to understand my queerness mm. over the same period of time. Mm. And one of the things I often say is I would not give up giving being queer at my own pace. It's like getting to know my queerness at my own pace for anything. Mm. Um, and so I was really not uh, like not thinking of myself as queer until after college, like right around the time that I was starting to get involved in RG and yeah. starting to find my home in food systems and food justice mm. work, which has really been my wheelhouse for the last, um, oh gosh, can I say decade? <laughs> Almost. What is time? Know, totally. Years. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so I think that given that I was really sharpening this analysis around classism and racism and coming into my queerness at the same time, 
and getting to know wealth redistribution as like part of my calling in the world at the same time. There's this really beautiful confluence for me where wealth redistribution is a really important part of queer solidarity to mm. me, recognizing the privilege that I have as, uh, as a white cisgender queer and that, you know, I really believe that the movements that are really gonna change this world and build towards the world where we're all free, that that looks like me moving resources towards trans-led organizations, black liberation organizations that are working with a queer feminist lens, like, um, you know, and I, I use black feminist lens with credit to BYP 100 and Charlene Carruthers and all the people who are part of that um, corner of the movement mm -hmm. for black lives. Um, and also I think about the, um, you know, third wave fund, the yeah. trans justice funding project, um, queer institutions within philanthropy that are, yeah, doing phone calls instead of applications because yeah. they really trust uh, the queer and trans led organizations that they're giving to and organizations that are like staffed by queer and trans people. Yep. Um, there is such a small percentage of philanthropy dollars that go to specifically trans issues. Mm -hmm. And I think one of my attitudes in wealth redistribution is to fund the things that are underfunded because of structural racism, uh, sexism, all of the ways that those things play out in yeah. how philanthropy dollars move through social movements. And then, you know, the, I couldn't say that I can't like answer this uh, question about the connection with, between <laughs> queerness and wealth redistribution without saying that I'm just in community with so many other queer folks who are doing this, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that, that those community connections and that sense of I can't do it alone. That's, I don't know, those things are just right next to each other. Yes. And also <laughs> very queer. Like it's all, it's all very queer is what we're saying. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's making me and, think. And just oh, a, a quick shout out that uh, wealth redistribution, um, you know, is not exclusively queer, queer, like, uh, you know. Straight people, uh, you may people also redistribute hold... your money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes in, in RG, we reflect on the fact that um, there's a, you know, a lot of the white Christian men who do hold the majority of wealth in this country are like very disproportionately represented in the room of who mm -hmm. is coming to the table to mm -hmm. do this redistribution work. Mm -hmm. So um, I want to celebrate the connection between wealth redistribution and queerness in my life and my story. Um, and also like, uh, you know, leave, leave a little breadcrumb trail for some other <laughs> folks to follow. <laughs> you know, it's occurring to me too, that I think the, um, you know, this timeline that we're talking about of your personal timeline um, and I think RG's timeline is, uh, you know, there's also a confluence with, um, like a shift in queer movement work away from like such an intense resource intensive focus on marriage. Um, and a lot of the money, um, that is funding and resourcing trans movements right now is money that was formerly going to marriage place. You know, it's like, 
into dumping into um, marriage stuff. I mean, we could do an entire show about marriage. Um, I won't at this moment, but I think that the, the yeah, just like the confluence of all of those timelines together, um, I think is really interesting to think about right now as we're thinking about redistribution and funding and underrepresented folks and um, whose work hasn't been receiving money over the last several decades and whose um, work is receiving many more of those resources now, I think. Um, you know, certainly, certainly a lot of trans movements um, and trans-led organizations, including ours. Um, I think it's, you know, it's also about rural money and redistributing to rural places too. And I think that's another, when you were talking about um, underfunded folks, you know, we know there's a lot of queer people in rural spaces and um, tends to also be, yeah, a place that does not find so many resources. Um, I wonder if you have anything to reflect or share about, um, yeah, how that's uh, connected to ruralness for you and or, and or small town spaces. Yeah, this is something I think about in terms of the geography of where I redistribute. Mm. Um, in my giving plan, I kind of create a, a category that I track of donations I make to organizations within an hour of where I live. And, you know, I, I believe in funding local work because for me, giving is a way to start being in relationship with different organizations. Mm. And as much comes from the relationship and the showing up as it does from, um, from moving the money itself. So, but then I also notice like, oh, but what happens when I build all those relationships for me as a donor in the Northeast? I uh, you know, that, that creates to the pattern of the South being underfunded, including Absolutely. rural spaces in the South being, sure. you know, even more at the intersection of multiple underfunded uh, categories. Yep. Um, uh, not to mention, you know, the Midwest, uh, First Nations organizations and reservations um, and tribal organizations. So, you know, that's something I'm still struggling with mm -hmm. and working with as I fund, you know, many things that are within mm -hmm. the pretty rural hour, uh, hours drive around where I live. Yeah. Um, and then what else would I add in here? A lot of wealth is held in urban centers and yeah. that's where a lot of wealthy people are based. And then that's where a lot of relationships happen, yeah. um, both between wealthy people and in terms of some of the philanthropy patterns that we're talking about. <clears throat> So, um, and, you know, and then we have the patterns of, you know, second homeowners in rural spaces uh, and all kinds of other things, mm -hmm. you know, class and ruralness is, and that mosaic is a whole nother episode too. Yes, it um, is. Yeah. So I think that, you know, at the baseline, you know, for me as a person who really believes in, um, I can't do the political work that I do without being in relationship with the land and mm. um, working towards climate justice and being in relationship with plants and space and the beautiful biodiversity that comes with connecting with the land in that way. Uh, so I'm always going to be funding, uh, you know, rural things, land-based things, food system and climate transformation things. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure I can even really speak to, like, how those things are, are impacted by philanthropy without, at, at, you know, beyond what you said about rural things being mm. underfunded. Yeah. 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 
Um, it's so nice to get to spend even video kind of time with you. And I think I always really get a lot out of our conversations and connection. And yeah, I'm just really appreciating you sharing. Um, so both so openly about your personal story and like, yeah, just the, I think the political um, and movement building connections are like so strong and interesting and knowing that there are so many folks out there who share this kind of perspective is really powerful right now. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing more of this. Um, hmm. <sighs> in, um, do you have a question you want to jump in with? I was making a, I have a question face. So like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's so hard on these Zoom calls sometimes, but um, well, I, I was loving everything that you said. I felt like I didn't even need to ask you a question because you just elaborated so much. Um, and I'm kind of curious about the, the nitty gritty of it when you're transferring that theory and your philosophy and your set of values that guides your principles and you hear about these organizations and it matters where they're located and who runs them and it's the people doing the work. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, like, do you have any advice for other folks looking to redistribute wealth? And what does it look like almost more in a practical way? Like you mentioned having a giving plan. Um, how, do you, how do you set that up? Like as much as you want to stay on that and, and what would you kind of say if somebody didn't know anything about this and they were like, you know, that sounds like something I want to do. What, where could they start? Yeah, my biggest piece of advice is get together with other people. Um, huh. Be... Uh, because those other people will, um, you know, you will like, nobody knows everything together. We know a lot getting together with more people, uh, just exponentially increases the amount of things that you know together and the amount that you can do together. Um, so I would shout out resource generation as a great hub for people. Um, Resource generation is both a national network and has local chapters, some of which are in uh, more rural areas like Western Mass and Vermont, and some of which are also in big cities like New York and Seattle, um, New York City and Seattle. Um, and there's also a lot of resources on the Resource Generation website for folks. I bet there are sample giving plan documents somewhere deep in the resources page. Um, I mean, you know, for people whose access to wealth is coming from family, um, I know that not every family is as uh, transparent about money or is, is as open to having these kinds of conversations as my family is, but I really encourage people to like see who else you can bring with you as you start to do this redistribution work. Um, and um, yeah, I'm hearing your themes of collectiveness, yeah. both in politics and in wealth redistribution, and we're in this together. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, resource generation also runs praxis groups, which are small study groups for people. And that is really intended to move people from, I'm interested, but I don't know what to do to here I am with a giving plan. And I just spent, you know, several months, uh, thinking about class patterns and racialized wealth accumulation in this country. Um, wow. I'm so much more equipped to be able to like go out and start practicing some of these values. Um, and mm -hmm. there's definitely other organizations for, um, for radical philanthropy and radical donors besides resource generation. Um, you know, I'll say that resource generation organizes people who are roughly in the top 10% of the U S economy. And there's a calculator on the RG website. So you can see where you fall on that either in terms of income or net wealth, net assets. Um, 
there's other, uh, you know, donor networks um, that are maybe for people who are like on the upper end of that top 10%. You know, resource generation definitely doesn't have a, a monopoly on this. It's just been a really, uh, really incredible place for me in particular. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about what you were saying about resource generation earlier. And, uh, you know, I think one of my goals in our work at Out in the Open is also like bringing visibility to this conversation about moving resources to rural places and just being like, yeah, feeling, you know, very interested in that conversation, just being like, well, if anyone wants to have that conversation, I'm here for it. And I'm just saying that in this, in this kind of place. And, and I think, um, yeah, the, the, all the questions about second homeownership and how people are, I think all of that stuff is so, um, present right now with the pandemic that we're experiencing um and and present in a way that it's um I, you know I, I, it just feels like the experience we're all having globally right now is really like peeling back the layers on things that we've all seen and we know are happening that a, a lot of things have been happening under the surface and is just like making many things um much more apparent um including including how wealth um and resources are moving through our communities um giving i'm giving long expositions to questions today i'm noticing um i'm wondering yeah i'm wondering if you have a thought about um like your dreams for wealth and resource access in a i this question is written as in a post-covid world but i'd also love to hear if you have thoughts about like in an existing COVID, like in the place that we are right now, um, dreams for wealth and resource access during and post pandemic and or sort of like, I don't know. I'm not like Lucy, you have all the answers, but I am just interested in like now feels like such a time of both being able to dream and manifest different ways of being, um, like interpersonally, societally, um, and there's an opportunity there that we haven't had before. Um, and if, yeah, what, if you have any visions for like, in like Lucy's dream world, what could that look like? Love this question. <laughs> Love getting to vision um, yes. in, in any conditions. <laughs> so a lot of really, uh, hopeful and inspiring things came to mind when I think about the present moment in terms of what's happening locally. Um, Seeing, uh, you know, there has been a huge increase in need on an individual level, on an organizational level, um, and, and, you know, at a mix of all of those levels too. And um, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of people in community around me and feeling myself really try to step up and meet that need, Mm. Um, which feels really powerful, feels really powerful to say, yes, we do have, um, we do have enough to keep sharing right now and to keep resisting that feeling of scarcity, you know, for people who, um, who, you know, were losing maybe I'll say kind of in air quotes, like losing money in the stock market um, or who were, you know, who were watching their net wealth go down, not because they were redistributing wealth, but because of the market getting lower, Um, you know, and to keep giving um, that has been really powerful. And there's also so many non-wealthy 
people who are giving so much both wealth and time. Uh, you know, I can't talk about wealth redistribution without lifting up that, uh, you know, non-wealthy people or, you know, uh, maybe to use RG's phrase, kind of part of mobilizing people in the top 10% is recognizing that people who are not in the top 10% often give a much higher percentage of their total net assets or income yep. away than wealthy people do. Um, so, you know, all of that has been happening in the rise in mutual aid and all of the different kinds of community care and response that are happening. And I also kind of can't name that hope and inspiration without thinking about what's going on at the national level, because we really have, um, we really have the true, uh, uh, just moral bankruptcy of wealthy people on display in this country in terms of um, our current leadership and uh, you know just so many examples of corruption, mm -hmm. bad behavior. Um, too too much for me to fully put into words in one interview. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you know, and the story that that tension for me of local hope and inspiration and national despair and rage has really mm. been the story of the last four years. Mm. And so my hope is, especially knowing how hard it is to suddenly be um, meeting the increased community need that's happening, is that we can really still organize to change the national uh, political conditions that we're living under. Thinking about this as an election year, thinking also about um, you know, in some ways, it's a little bit hard to grasp for me, even as someone who um, has tried to do a lot of DIY financial literacy and advocacy, um, it can even still be a little bit hard for me to understand the scope of the corporate giveaway yep. uh, of, of uh, bailout money and taxpayer funds that's coming from our government right, right now. Uh, so... It's like, yes, there's so much beautiful peer-to-peer -peer wealth redistribution happening. And also the forces that have been consolidating wealth and driving just massive wealth inequality in this country are also accelerating. Mm -hmm. And we really need to, to do both to take care of our people and to take care of our communities and to like get a bigger piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, because uh, just, gosh, um, I really, you know, I really don't want to see, you know, more austerity come uh, yep. on the other side of this kind of moment where there's um, stimulus checks and, and, you know, attempts at supporting businesses and people right now. So, so yeah, so my dream, you know, for this year is mm. that we can mobilize as hard uh, against those big national systems as we are for each other. Um, and that we can really find a way to do both. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, maybe I also want to say that like, there's, there's just like never a bad time to, um, to be redistributing, it, you know, in my case, yeah. uh, like the current conditions of a pandemic really don't, um, don't change anything about the foundation that I'm really standing on mm. uh, as I'm giving away this wealth. Um, 
you know, the gesture of redistributing really comes from this like deep reconciliation place in me mm. um, because I know our history and I mm. know where the wealth I'm inheriting came from. It came from stolen land and extracted resources. And that's really enough to ask, you know, am I inheriting wealth or am I inheriting a debt? Mm. Am I inheriting resources that need to get paid back to where they came from and where mm. they were taken from? Mm. And I say that knowing, like, like holding the full humanity of my ancestors who accumulated that wealth right, right next to me. Yeah. Um, I can hold both that that wealth was extracted and that, that I love my people and I don't hate where I'm from. You know, there's just never uh, like that spiritual work um, is even more urgent in this moment where the mm. conditions are accelerating. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. And also where like, you know, healing on so many different levels is necessary. Yeah. And what a, like, what a queer vision of that, right? It's not one the, there's no, there, right? We don't need to buy into the false binary of, like, hating where you're from and loving what you're doing now, right? Like, um, we can hold all of those things at the same time, um, bringing mm. it back around to the wonderfulness of queerness. <laughs> um, I, the, the financial literacy piece that you were mentioning, I think, is so huge right now, and I think in this moment of things like, you know, like I've learned a lot about like, what the heck is a stock buyback, right? Like those kinds of things are like really deeply impacting us at a societal level. And they're like super complicated intentionally to like have folks not understand what's happening right now. Um, And, you know, again, who are the folks that have time to be able to do that kind of learning right now? Um, right? It's folks with access to power and privilege. Um, so I think things like conversations like the one we're having now is also really important for reasons like that. I think it's it's like so critical at this time that as many of us as possible are able to understand like the very complex financial workings of like how um, how our national wealth and resources are being redistributed to corporations and people at the top too. Anyway, we've co- we've come up with like seven other radio episodes today, um, including that one. But yes, financial, all the all the finances literacy um, for sure. Um, and yeah, thank you for sharing all of that about hopes and dreams. And um, I just you know have to keep believing that we're gonna we will we will get to the places we need to be um, together. So, anything else? you want to share with us and our listeners in our waning moments together today. Yeah. Should I say a couple of things about stimulus checks and share oh, my check? Sure. Yeah, do it. Yep. We didn't talk about that at all. Go for it. <laughs> Another part of this pandemic moment is we're experiencing, you know, the, this moment of stimulus checks happening and uh, many people receiving a check who might be thinking, Uh, like, oh, this isn't money that I need to survive. And we're also seeing that, um, you know, lots of people are getting left out of receiving those stimulus checks. Um, To name a few, uh, you know, identities, people who are undocumented, people who are currently incarcerated, people without social security numbers or bank accounts or home addresses are not receiving checks. And so I think this, there's kind of a little bit of like, um, you know, populist wealth redistribution happening with people who were receiving those checks and uh, deciding to pass on all or 
you know, any percentage of it. And you can, uh, you know, uh, sign on to the pledge at sharemycheck.org. Um, this is a resource generation project, but it's mobilizing people beyond just the RG community. Um, and there's just infinity good places to put your stimulus check. Um, and yeah, I think I just want to say like a, a big thank you to both of you. I know that you, you know, at like, you know, I'm speaking from kind of the donor activist perspective, but everything that you're adding in from um, the perspective of organizations receiving this wealth and trying to put that good mission into action is just so valuable. And um, I'm really grateful for the work that you're all doing. Mm, thank you. And I think, yeah. you know, likewise, and right, like this is the power of authentic connections with like folks who are mutually supporting each other. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so important to me to be in community and connected with, I mean, as many people as we can be. And also, yeah, just that the power of authentic um, exchange and mutuality is um, really lovely and important. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. I always learn so much when, when I talk with you. I was taking notes about things you were saying. And it was just really, really powerful stuff. Yeah. So I'm just glad you have this perspective and you're sharing it with folks and that you're willing to come talk to a radio show or podcast, an auditorium full of people. <laughs> in number maybe <laughs> yeah i've been i've been picturing the full community room from the um uh the open house yeah it's like that all the smiling faces yes yes mm -hmm. yes um yeah. lucy thank you so much um, absolutely hb thanks for having me yeah and, you know, I'm looking forward to the rest of the day where I get to chew on all the things I wish I'd said and, and then probably still listen to this in a few weeks and be like, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs>